What's up, everyone, and welcome back to the Transformers season here on Cinematic Views. I'm your host, Chris, and this is a show about all things movie and TV. Every week, I break down and review the newest releases, beloved franchises like Transformers and even upcoming projects. You can support the show by hitting that follow button on your favorite podcast network, as well as following the show on all social media platforms. All those handles can be found on either the Cinematic Views Facebook page or the show's website at podgepage.com backslash cinematic reviews. It helps out a lot, and I really do appreciate all the love and support out there from everyone. Why do Decepticons always get the good shit? Transformers Darker the Moon is headed your way. Space race of the 1960s was in response to an event. If you breathe a word of what you've seen here, it will do time for treason. Everything humans know of our planet, we were told had been shared. You lied to us. You've made a grave mistake. took over the planet. You'll be fine. I promise you. It's over. I'm sorry, but it's over. Transformers Dark of the Moon was released on June 29th, 2011. It stars Shia LaBeouf returning as Sam Witwicky for the last time, Rosie Huntington-Whiteley as Carly, Peter Cullen returning as the voice of Optimus Prime, Patrick Dempsey as Dylan, and Leonard Nimoy as the voice of Sentinel Prime. It was directed once again by Michael Bay, who is best known for Bad Boys, Armageddon, Pain Again, and of course, the Transformers franchise. The driller was composed of 70,000 pieces. It used up the entire render farm and took 122 hours per frame. 532 vehicles were destroyed for the film. All were given away by an insurance company at no charge, as all of them were flood damaged. Bay swore that mudflap and skids are not in the film. He even offered up $25,000 for anyone who could spot them. They can be found in one scene in this film. 
when Director Meering arrives at Nest, uh, they can be seen in the background. Alan Tudyk has stated that his character from 28 Days Later is the same character in this film. The line where he says, that's the old me, is based on the idea that they are the same characters. Sentinel Prime was modeled after Sir, uh, Sir Sean Connery and the idea that Connery would voice the character. Connery, however, turned it down and the role ultimately went to Leonard Nimoy instead. To capture the skydiving sequence, cameras were attached to the diver's helmets in order to capture their descent into Chicago. While filming in Washington, D.C., the 2011 Chevy Camaro that plays Bumblebee in the film was struck by a Metro Police K-9 SUV that was responding to a bomb alert. Uh, the police officer sustained minor injuries and the Bumblebee vehicle sustained considerable damage. Rosie Huntington-Whiteley had no previous acting experience except for appearing in Bay-directed Victoria's Secret commercials. ILM, or Industrial Light and Magic, employed its entire rendering machinery to use on the film. This added up to 200,000 rendering hours per day. Bay reused a car crash scene from the film The Island. After an extra was seriously injured in the original shot, it is the scene where Hatchet is thrown into a car during the highway battle. $1 million was spent during the two-day filming at the Milwaukee Art Museum, which served as Dylan's museum in the film. And then lastly, when Megan Fox was fired shortly before filming, Blake Lively was offered the role of Carly, but had to decline due to commitments to Gossip Girl. Amber Heard and Anna Kendrick were also approached before Rosie accepted the role. So Dark of the Moon is flawed like the rest of this franchise is, but it's it's honestly one of the best installments, I think, for sure. Uh, this was Shia's last time playing Sandwit Wiki, uh, and it's really unfortunate because, like I keep saying throughout this season, Shia is a highlight of the franchise. Once he leaves, the the next two installments are a big step down from this quote-unquote Shia trilogy, as I call it. There were two big reasons why Shia walked away from the franchise. The first is the fact that Shia felt there wasn't anything else to do with the character. He saved Earth three times now uh, and is with the love of his life, Carly, who is played by Rosie Huntington-Whiteley. I totally get that. I think Shy is a terrific actor, and if he feels that he did all he could with the character, then I believe him. Now, the second reason probably destroys a lot of trust that fans have in Shia. Uh, for those that don't know, Shia had been dealing with alcohol abuse for years uh, back in 2007 and 2008. He had two... Uh, pretty public alcohol-related arrests. Um, in 2011, he was also involved in a brawl outside of a bar. Uh, after that, he was involved in a couple more public arrests. Uh, most famously, he was arrested back in 2014 at a New York theater. Uh, for what I can understand, he has been through rehab. And as of last year, he announced that he was uh, over 600 days sober. Uh, so good for him. I wish him the best as he goes through this uh, new renewed path of his life and career. Uh, long story short, though, Shia is a very controversial actor who I still love seeing in films. Uh, I think he is very, very talented. Uh, so I, it's just really unfortunate that he wasn't able to uh, be in these last two installments and kind of just make this franchise his. Um, I'll talk about this more uh, next week's episode, but Mark Wahlberg kind of takes over and becomes the the centerpiece of the final two films of this Michael Bay Transformers franchise. So 
this installment, Darker Than the Moon, uh, finds Sam struggling to find a job after graduating college and saving the world twice. Uh, he has a beautiful new girlfriend and, and a medal from POTUS. Um, shout out to that shot of uh, the Obama stand-in who uh, gave him the medal. Uh, I thought that was a very interesting choice in this franchise to have uh, actors play uh, actual real-life uh, presidents uh, at the time of the films. Uh, so that was cool. The Autobots discover that an old Autobot vessel has been on the dark side of the moon for decades. Uh, it was carrying these Cybertonian pillars that are used uh, for like a transportation device. Uh, this creates another battle between the Autobots and Decepticons. Uh, now the government, specifically Director Mearing, uh, doesn't want Sam involved with their joint task force with the Autobots anymore. Uh, I have a big problem with that subplot. It, it's definitely on the list. Uh, for the negative segments on today's episode, so I'll get into that. Um, but Sam should have just been working with the government. Uh, I mean, he has the most experience with the Transformers. You would think the government could use someone with that amount of experience working for them in this task force. Uh, it was a, it was stupid to force him to go out and job hunt. Uh, yeah, we get that funny scene with John Malkovich when he's going in his interview, but at the end of the day, he should have just been part of this trans this task force he should have been employed into the government to some extent um that whole job hunting thing just added an unnecessary 10 to 15 minutes of the film uh and this is a long film uh it's like two and a half hours and it's they could have easily cut out that entire sequence and and made this film a little more tighter and more uh, coherent uh as i mentioned sam has a new girlfriend named carly um this was because megan fox had a falling out with michael bay at the time uh, real shocker there. Fox has stated publicly that she has always had issues with Bay ever since the first Transformers film. Uh, she later starred in Bay's version of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, so they must have buried the hatchet. Uh, but it's unfortunate that she wasn't in Dark of the Moon because I hate it when a franchise has to write out a character or recast them. Um, in this instance, they kind of used a couple of throwaway lines uh, from Wheelie and, and Brains to kind of explain uh, where, what happened with her. And then Sam also brings it up with his parents to kind of, you know, explain it a little more. It breaks the universe in my mind. And, and as a fan of franchises, I just absolutely hate it when they do that. I would hate it more if Rosie took over the role of Michaela though. Uh, but since she's playing a different character altogether, it, it's not as bad. Um, I still don't like it though, because of the whole breaking the universe thing, but it, they did it the smart way where they just put her in a different character instead of recasting Michaela altogether. So I'm glad they did it that way. Uh, Revenge of the Fallen uh, ended with Michaela and Sam finally saying that they love each other. And then all of a sudden uh, he dumps him in between installments. It's just really, really lazy, really, really messy. Uh, it's yeah, it's just unfortunate that that her and Michael Bay couldn't, you know, bury the hatchet and, and come to some agreement and keep her in the franchise. But it is what it is. Um, yeah, it's just it's just an unfortunate wrinkle. And, and what I think is a, actually a pretty decent film. Um, I think, like I said, I think it's one of the better installments of the franchise for sure. Uh, Kevin Dunn and Julie White return as Sam's parents for a few scenes, which is awesome. I, I love their characters in this franchise. They are on a cross-country trip in an RV during this installment. Um they have matching trash suits, which makes me crack up every time. 
Uh, I just really, really love their back and forth uh, between each other as as husband and wife. Josh Dumel is back as Anna. Uh, uh, excuse me, is back as Lennox. Uh, he is still leading the operations with Autobots, but now reports to director Mearing, uh, who is played by Francis McDormand. Um, not a huge fan of her character. Uh, I, I do like uh, McDormand. I think she is great. Uh, but she isn't as useless as the advisor to the president that we had in Revenge of the Fallen. So I, I definitely like her character more. Still not fully on board with this whole government side of this franchise, but you kind of have to have it with, with Transformers crashing down on the Earth. Apparently, her and Turturro's character, Simmons, had some kind of romantic past. Uh, that was another thing explained through a throwaway line. Don't think we really needed that, but I mean, okay. Uh, it's great to see Turturro back, though. Uh, he is teamed up with Alan Tudyk this time. Uh, he plays Dutch, Simmons' uh, assistant, who has a military past. I absolutely love Dutch in this. Um, all of his scenes were great. I love the accent. I love the goofiness of the character. Really, really entertaining. Um, yeah, just Alan Tudyk just nails his character, and he is just so perfect for this. It was it was so good. There are a lot of other notable characters in this installment, like Patrick Dempsey uh, from you know Grey's Anatomy. He plays Dylan. I'll have a lot to say about him in a negative segment for sure. Uh, Tyrese Gibson returns as Epps, uh, but he is no longer working with Lennox. He is with uh, NASA, I believe it was, uh, kind of overseeing the shuttles and stuff with the Autobots. John Malkovich plays Sam's boss, uh, and then Ken Jung shows up as well for a couple of scenes as uh, one of the, I think he's a higher up in, in the office that Sam's works for. Um, so yeah, it was just kind of just like a, they like threw all these big actors at the time in here and gave them little small roles. The action sequences are awesome. Once again, I, I love all the transformer battles in these films. Uh, in this installment, we get a crazy highway fight where we see Sam go flying through the air with Bumblebee, like transforming around him. That was really cool. I love that sequence. Optimus just annihilates everyone that he fights again. He uses a sword and shield a lot in this installment, which is really, really cool. Uh, Bumblebee is great as always too. I, I love his relationship with Sam. Uh, once again, they kind of wrote them apart at the beginning of the film in a really lazy way. And then they kind of reunite uh, about halfway through the film. The final battle in Chicago it is a bit long, but it's got a lot of great action sequences that I'll, I'll talk about. Like the driller going through the skyscraper that Sam and Carly are in. That's one of the craziest sequences I've ever seen. I just really, really loved rewatching this installment. Uh, like I keep saying, it, it's in my opinion one of one of the best, one of my favorites of this franchise. Um, I'll touch on it again in the rankings for sure. But I, but it's just, it's really one. It's truly one of the better installments. I mean, you have Bumblebee, you have the first Transformers, and you, and you have this one. Revenge of the Fallen has its uh, has it some good parts in it but it's got a lot of flaws in it age of extinction and the last night are just written written with with bad dialogue and bad scenes um and i'll there's gonna be a long list of of negatives for that episode for sure uh but i had a blast rewatching dark of the moon this is like my 20th time seeing it um and i'm i'm glad i get to do it for the show uh it's definitely it's one of them that i 
when I think of the Transformers franchise, I think of Dark of the Moon. Um, and I'm super, super excited to break it down today. So let's take a quick break uh, and then we'll get into standout scenes. On the next new release reactions episode, it's Transformers Rise of the Beasts. The beloved franchise returns with an all new adventure. Check out Rise of the Beasts in theaters on June 9th. And then head over to Cinemac Reviews the following Monday for the reaction episode. All right, let's break down some scenes. The first one I have on my list is the Apollo 11 mission. Uh, we get this uh, splice of actual and recreated footage of the moon landing. Um, really great way to open up uh, this film, kind of setting the tone for it, you know, really being about, you know, does the title suggest Dark of the Moon, you know, a lot of a lot of moon stuff in here a lot of nasa um just really great um i think the recreation footage is is pretty good it, it's not perfect um but seeing the actual footage of like instances like we have we have the actual we have the teleprompter in the over office where we're actually seeing the footage of nixon on the phone while at the same time next to the to the television we have the the stunt actor who is portraying Nixon uh, makeup, I thought was great. Um, same thing with uh, the quick Obama scene. We really only get to see the really top of his head, but I think the voice was spot on the costumes, the makeup, all that were really spot on for those. Um, the JK, uh, the JFK one could have been better. Uh, they definitely tried to use that, uh, cgi software that they like to use um but seeing the jfk footage was great but i think they could have did something a little bit better with with uh with uh kennedy i uh, just didn't quite look right uh even for 2011 at the time they really should have just did the same thing with the other ones where they just used the actor and used the makeup instead of you know the, the cgi technology uh definitely not what it is today um, but back in 2011, that was something really, really huge. Um, but yeah, just I think that was a terrible, terrible choice to do uh, on Kennedy. They should have just did it with with the other presidents, where they just get a a stand in and try to, you know, use makeup and use camera techniques to you know make it believable. But still, a great way to open up uh, the film, especially if you are a big NASA moon moon fan. So next up. Uh, we have Lennox and the Autobots at Chernobyl. This is where we meet Shockwave and the Driller. Uh, awesome, quick little action sequence here where they uh, fight off the, the Driller. Um, this is where we find out that uh, Laserbeak has been, uh, is his job for the Decepticons is to really uh, kind of blackmail and interrogate these former NASA uh, workers. Uh, back when they were doing these Apollo missions. Um, that's kind of how they were able to contain this secret for as long as they did because the Decepticons have been uh, just really blackmailing these former NASA workers. Um, but yeah, really cool action sequences with uh, with the drill coming through the building. And then you have uh, the uh, Cybertronian uh, tech that they are able, that the nest is able to, uh, to grab onto and, this kind of opens up Optimus's eyes to the fact that the humans have known about Transformers for way longer 
than than what they told him and so he's really pissed off now um and this kind of starts the the big uh rift between uh the transformers and, and, and the humans that we will see uh later on in in the film for sure uh but great action sequences um get a lot of optimus sword action which i love uh, this is uh i wrote this down because I, it always cracks me up but this is a very very short scene uh, this is where Sam is kicking the engine in his car. I probably one of my favorite Shia moments for sure. Uh, so this is where, um, while he's job hunting, he uh, he goes visits Carly. She's working for Patrick Dempsey's character at this really extravagant uh, car museum. Uh, he goes and tells her that she got the job. Turns out that Patrick Dempsey is the one that gave uh, the. Re- letter of recommendation from the board uh he and carly kind of you know it's a really really inappropriate scene where dempsey is obviously you know into carly trying to steal her away from sam um she's kind of playing it off as he's just being nice you know she's she's devoted to sam there's nothing between them and sam you know being a guy doesn't like it you know i would have a hard time as well if my girlfriend was working for someone like Patrick Dempsey, you know, uh, Dr. Dreamy or whatever he is from, from Grey's Anatomy. So totally, totally understand his frustration with that. Um, but to get back to the scene that I wrote down, so they go outside, you know, he's got this little beat up, uh, bug car. Um, since, uh, Bumblebee's off doing his missions, he has this little used car got a lot of engine problems so he gets pissed off and starts kicking the engine repeatedly uh, it's just it's just cracks me up a lot when i see that so i had to write that down then i have uh laser beak attacking sam's office um really quick scene as well but i i love the action in here i love the design of laser beak too he's like this vulture transformer thing um so leading up to this we have uh we find out that king john is a former NASA worker as well. So Laserbeak is, you know, making his rounds and he's blackmailing and interrogating uh, Ken Jong's character. Uh, well, he pulls out his guns, you know, threatening to shoot Laserbeak, um, throws him out the window, uh, kind of insinuating the fact that he committed suicide when in fact it was murder by Laserbeak. Um, so Laserbeak like transforms into a printer in order to get closer to Sam. Uh, he reveals himself, starts blasting up the office, um yeah just a great great action sequence love the love like i said love the design of laser beak uh, i love all the the gunfire throughout the office is really really cool then we have uh the dutch let's let's out the old old him scene uh this is where uh Chichiro, uh dutch and, and sam uh go off to meet the russians to kind of get uh, the information they have from there uh, moon missions, you know, as far as the Transformers go. Uh, so they enter this bar and it, it starts off with uh, them, you know, the classic, you know, say the password to get into the secret hiding space. So they knock and and Turturro goes, oh, what was it? I think it was like Dos Fadania. And the guy's like, that means goodbye. Shuts the door. Uh, that, that's a really, really funny scene. I don't remember if I had that in the quote, so I wanted to mention that here. Uh, but I love that. But then they get in, they're let in there um and it's kind of tense you know they're not really sure what to expect from these russians uh so dutch just lets loose you know he's he's got a gun he grabs a shotgun at one point he's got a 
shotgun pointed at the Russians. He's got a pistol pointed at somebody else. Um, and you got Totoro standing there like, like, you know, pack it in Dutch and, and he's trying to calm him down. And, and he's, you know, he says the classic line, Oh, I'm sorry. That's the old me. Um, just really, really love Alan Tudyk in here with, with his, his way around a gun is really, really cool. Uh, then we have the big action sequence here with the highway battle with what they call the dreads, uh, the Decepticons with, you know, the dreads on them. Uh, great, great choreography here. Um, this is where we get that, that shot of, uh, Bumblebee jumping up through the, through the chaos. Um, he's transforming around Sam and you have Shia, you know, screaming in midair as Bumblebee's transforming around him. It was really, really cool. I love how Bumblebee is like halfway transformed. So he's like driving with Sam in the car while also shooting the Decepticons. It was really, really cool. At the beginning of this fight sequence, we uh, we see uh, Turturro get thrown out of his car. Uh, he's he's okay, though, because later on we see him in a wheelchair. But I thought that was crazy on how they, they handled Turturro in this battle. It's like, no, we're just going to throw him out of the car and, and take him off the board, you know, right off the bat. So... But yeah, I just really, really love the action in, in this sequence. Probably my favorite next to the collapsing sky, skyscraper scene, which I'll talk about uh, down the list here. Uh, but the next one I have is uh, Sentinel Prime killing Ironhide. So this really pisses me off every time because I love Ironhide. Um, it's unfortunate that they kill him off in here. Uh, but with it, you know, being the end of a trilogy, you kind of expect uh, some death here. You know, we got Jazz killed off in the first installment. Um, Optimus dies in the second one, even though they bring him back to life. And then now Ironhide is the next one to to bite the bullet, so to speak. Um, but yeah, this is also where Sentinel, you know, reveals that he kind of made a pact with Megatron and he wants to bring Cybertron uh, to Earth and make Earth uh, their new home. So he ends up killing Ironhide to send a message to Optimus that he is not messing around. So really, really unfortunate, really, really sad scene uh, to see one of my favorites just get get his heart blown out by, by Sentinel's gun. Then we have Dylan kidnapping Carly and then forcing Sam to spy on the Autobots. Um, so it turns out the car, the very, very expensive car, I think it was like $250,000 car, turns out it's Soundwave. Um, so Soundwave is, has been keeping track of Carly this entire time. Uh, they're at this little dinner party that Sam ends up crashing. Um, this is revealed that Dylan is in cahoots with the Decepticons as well. Um, so he traps Carly in her car with Soundwave. Uh, at the same time, he is basically forcing Sam to spy on the Autobots or he will kill Carly. Uh, he So Sam reluctantly agrees, you know. Uh, we get the shot of Dylan's uh, watch is actually a transformer. It comes crawling uh, around Sam's, you know, and, and kind of like imprints himself onto Sam's wrist so that he can uh, monitor him and, and make sure he doesn't, you know, let the Autobots know that he is spying. Um, basically, it's some kind of tracking device uh, so that they can keep tabs on Sam while he uh, spies on the Autobots to ensure the safety of Carly. So that, that was a really crazy scene, a uh, big reveal, uh, even though there are hints throughout the film that you can kind of guess that there is something not right with, with Dempsey's character, but this for, for sure 
confirms those suspicions. Um, complete douchebag in this film. Uh, then we have Starscream uh, destroying the Autobot transport. Um, I like this scene because uh, we get that moment with uh, Optimus and Sam where uh, he's like, you know, we tried. Um, we we did our best, but now you have to fight this on your own. Um, really, really selling the fact that uh, he has given up. Uh, because he kind of knows that the Decepticons are listening to him, because that's that's how smart Optimus is. He's already ten moves ahead, and that's why I really really love this scene. It's really showing how Optimus just really really sees everything. He sees every outcome, and he's really tedious on what on what move that he makes because he he needs to be so many moves ahead. Um, and then we also get this moment with Bumblebee and Sam where they say goodbye. Um, it's really heartwarming. Um, and then they fly up into their Autobot ship that's like fixed to a to a NASA shuttle, uh, so that they can break the atmosphere, I guess. Um, and then Starscream comes in and just blows them blows them to smithereens, uh, leading to believe that the Autobots are dead. Uh, but turns out later on in the film that they weren't even in there; they were hiding in one of the uh, the boosters that separated. Uh, after takeoff so that they were able to avoid the blast, which was pretty smart. But, uh, I mean, you kind of figured something like that was going to happen, uh, because you can't really have a transformers movie where the transformers aren't in the last half hour of the film. So not really surprising, but it was pretty clever, uh, on how that they were able to do that. Um, but yeah, still really like that scene just because of the, you know, the heartwarming factor with, with the dialogue between, Optimus and Sam, and then Sam and Bumblebee. Next, we have uh, Sam and Bumblebee saving Carly from Dylan's hideout, which is in Trump Tower. Um, great scene here where Sam comes in with a gun. First time we've ever seen Sam with a gun. I uh, wish he would have had it more often, uh, but this is really, sh- it's a great way to show how the Sam character has evolved, how he's grown up, you know, from this kid from high school. Now he's saving the world for the third time and he's holding a gun uh, to the bad guy. So I thought that was really, really cool to see, you know, the general progression of the character. Uh, so he's got Dylan at gunpoint, you know, he's able to uh, get Carly uh, and they kind of blast up. Another thing. So Bumblebee is driving one of the Decepticon ships, which I think was really, really cool. Um, I like the design of these, you know, they kind of stick to the skyscrapers like bugs and they kind of fly off when they need to. I uh, just really like the design. You know, Sam's crawling on the the gun there. You know, Carly jumps off. Um, and they're able to escape. Uh, but turns out, you know, this is where the, the battle ends up starting. You know, now that they know that the Autobots are back and Sam's back and, and all that. So that's where the chaos starts to unfold. Then we have this really cool scene where uh, Lennox and his team are skydiving into Chicago. Uh, I love a good skydive sequence. You know, Godzilla, Mission Impossible, Transformers here. I just really, really love love a good skydiving scene. And this is pretty cool, too. Um, We get some, you know, first-person footage from the cameras. Um, They're using these cool wingsuits as they're kind of gliding through Chicago. Uh, At one point, they got to go in between these two collapsing skyscrapers um unfortunately not everyone survives the fall 
which is, uh, I mean, understandable. You know, there's the Skepticons, ships flying all over the place. You know, not all the guys are going to make it. Um, so I thought that was an interesting choice to commit to, you know, killing off a lot of these guys. You know, a lot of movies, they would, like, go out of their way. You know, famously, like, Batman versus Superman, where they had to publicly state that nobody was injured. Uh, because of all the backlash from Man of Steel of people dying in that film. I like how the Transformers is like, no, we're killing people off. You know, we got to make this realistic. So I, I appreciate that, you know, that level of detail, you know, not to be afraid of killing, you know, bystanders off in, in a battle that this magnitude. So really, really like that. Now we get to the big one, the collapsing skyscraper scene, which is probably my favorite of the film. Uh, we have Sam and, and the gang of of guys that he's with you know carly you got tyrese gibson and his guys they're on this little secret mission to shoot down the pillars with uh with the rocket so they got to climb up these skyscrapers to you know to get parallel to make the shot um the driller comes in and starts tearing down the uh skyscraper you know they're sliding down uh, that one shot of them jumping out the window uh, sliding down the skyscraper and they're having to shoot the glass to go through so they can not fall to their deaths. Um, just really, really love that sequence. Uh, then the driller comes in, starts destroying the, the skyscraper even more. Um, just an incredible, incredible shot of the driller just wrapped around the, uh, the building. It's just, I can't imagine the manpower that went into that one shot of of the driller going through the to the building like that it's so much rendering so much time so much computer power that it's just it's insane how they were able to pull this scene off uh how they did it it was just really really cool uh then we have optimus showing up and just decimating the driller with his uh with his you know jetpack suit that he had from a revenge of the fallen you know he still has that and he comes in and just wrecks the driller to pieces. And it's just really, really awesome. It's a great, you know, theater moment, great mo excitement moment of like, yeah, Optimus is back. He's ready to just annihilate Decepticons. And it's just really, really cool. The next scene I have written down is Lennox and Sam taking out Starscream. Um, CGI isn't perfect in here. I got a lot of Spider-Man 3. Uh, vibes from this scene the cgi is not good um you can really tell it's very video gamey um but it's still a really cool scene because i love how you know sam is using these gadgets that were made by uh don't remember what his name was the uh wheeljack the the scientist uh, autobot so he's got this hook thing and he's like and he shoots the hook into starscream's eye and starscream's just freaking out you got Shia just, you know, being twirled around. He can't get loose and just get this sequence of, of him just flying through the air on this rope. And then Lennox has to come in and uh, cut the cable and they blow up uh, Starscream's head with uh, one of the makeshift bombs that Wheeljack also uh, created for the humans to use to destroy Decepticons. So... Again, CGI is is not good in this scene, but I love it because of the action and, and, and all that. It was really cool. 
Then we have the Decepticons killing the captured Autobots, which consists of Wheeljack and Bumblebee. Um, really heartbreaking scene where where Wheeljack, you know, says to Bumblebee, like, I'm pretty sure they're going to kill us, Bumblebee. And we get that, you know, sad look and, and whimper from Bumblebee. Uh, Wheeljack, unfortunately, dies. Uh, he gets blasted a couple times as he's pleading for his life, you know, uh, asking them to spare them. You know, we can be your prisoners, but they're like, nope, we can't keep any prisoners. So they shoot Wheeljack. Bumblebee is next until the uh, until the humans come in and uh, help out with the distraction. And Bumblebee just goes into attack mode and he just whoops some Decepticon ass. And it's really, really cool. But that moment leading up to it, it is really, really heartbreaking. Uh, as they, as Bumblebee and Wheeljack are pretty much kind of accepted the fact that they're probably going to die right here, and uh, Sam has to watch it. You know, we get that shot of Sam trying to get one of the the bombs to work, and he can't do it, and and he's just, you know, he's crying, he's trying to protect his best friend Bumblebee, and he just can't. He just feels so helpless in that moment, and I think Shia really did a great job of conveying how how frustrated and 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 sad that he was to not be able to help his best friend who is probably about to die right now. So great, great moment there. And then the last one I have is Optimus killing Megatron and then Sentinel Prime. Optimus just goes into attack mode here. So he takes, he first he's fighting Sentinel Prime and then Megatron comes in and starts attacking Sentinel as well. Uh, but then Megatron ends up turning on Optimus again. So Optimus is forced to take out Megatron by shoving an axe into his head and ripping his head off. That was a crazy sequence. Uh, you get the guts flying everywhere. You got his transformer spine coming out of his body. It's really, really crazy how they did that. We get that shot of Megatron's head slamming on the ground with the axe still embedded into it. Um, and then Optimus picks up Megatron's gun and blasts Sentinel to hell. Uh, you know, he's... Sentinel's like, you know, I had no choice. I had to do it. I had to save Tyrodron, you know. Uh, and then uh, I have it in the quotes here, but, you know, Optimus says, you know, you didn't betray me. You betrayed yourself. And then he shoots him a couple times, and that is the end of Sentinel Prime. So crazy, crazy way to end out this film. I uh, just really, really love Optimus in, in that scene in particular where he has to kill two of his own, and especially a, a fellow Prime, and in an effort to you know save the Autobots and and the humans, so awesome, awesome scene. Uh, next up, we got some favorite quotes. I'm gonna run through these quotes here. I got quite a few of them. So the first one I have: If Bumblebee was sad, piece of shit. Uh, of course, this is Sam's mom referring to uh, Sam's uh, broken down ass car that he has to drive while Bumblebee goes out into. Uh, his missions with with Ness, so I thought that was a that one cracks me up all the time. Uh, this one from John Malkovich's character who is plays Bruce Brazos, which I at first glance I thought this was like a ripoff of Jeff Bezos of Amazon. Uh, it could be, I'm not sure, but I thought that was an interesting name choice for Malkovich's character. Uh, but he goes uh, during Sam's interview, he goes, "You want the job after the job." Um, which is very relatable. I think a lot of us, you know, can admit that, yeah, we we want the job after this job, but we kind of have to, we have to be reminded that we have to soldier through this first job before we get to the next one. You know, we got to work our way through the ranks and get promotions. I thought that was a really 
interesting uh, and very enlightening quote from a character like uh, Bruce uh, in this in a Transformers film. Uh, then we have this one from Dutch. Uh, you are peasants throwing rocks at a giant. Of course, during uh, the uh, Bill O'Reilly interview with uh, Turturro, you know, he cuts it short because he turns out that they're kind of attacking him and they all they're all leaving out. He uh, and Dutch yells yells that line out that they are throwing rocks at at a giant. Just just love it. Uh, then this one. Uh, so this is when they're at the Russian bar uh, where he's uh, trying to translate, uh, where Dutch is trying to translate for uh, Turturro. So Simmons goes, Dutch, you suck. And Dutch <laughs> Dutch responds, it's a Cyrillic alphabet. It's, it's like all the buttons you don't press on a calculator. It's just, I love, the, I love that interaction where he's just, uh, Tudyk is so frustrated for trying to read this, you know, this Russian uh, uh, translating book. And Sim is just like, Dutch, you're sucking at this. Like, come on, man. And he's just, he's so, so frustrated. I, I love that back and forth there. Uh, this one from Optimus. You may lose your faith in us, but never in yourselves. Uh, gray line there. Simmons, uh, that kid is an alien bad news magnet. Uh, I love it. Uh, another one from Optimus. We take the battle to them. Uh, this was almost the quote of the episode, but I, I ended up going with Tyrese Gibson's uh for that but i really like that line too where where uh where it actually starts off with like uh in the name of freedom uh we take the battle to them uh really really awesome quote there from from up i really love peter cullen i haven't really had a chance to talk to him about this episode but peter cullen is just just owning this character right now i i love him love his voice acting with optimus is so good so iconic uh, this one from Dylan, you got some balls. Uh, this is when Sam shows up and, and holds him at gunpoint for Carly. Uh, from Wheeljack, uh, they're great inventions for kicking ass. Uh, this is when he gives him, uh, Sam, those uh, handmade uh, uh, inventions to destroy the Decepticons. Um, this one from Eddie, who is, uh, he's the big guy with, uh, with the rocket launcher and, and Tyrese's group. Uh, but he goes, I don't care if the building collapses. I'm having a heart attack anyways. Uh, that one chuckles, makes me chuckle every time. Uh, and then this one from uh, Tyrese, the one that I opened up the episode with is, why did the Decepticons always get the good shit? Uh, I mean, I just really like that one. Uh, it sticks out to my head the most in here. Uh, so I wanted to pick that one for the opening episode. Uh, then this one from Brain. A couple of these are from Brains. Uh, so when him and Wheelie get up to the uh, the Decepticon transporter, you know he's looking around. He goes, "This is a total cluster," and it cuts him off at the at the F word. Uh, chuckle every time. Uh, same thing with this, where where they get into the like the um, like the cockpit area and they're ripping wires around, and and Brain goes, "We're gonna screw this shit up," and it's <laughs> chuckle. I chuckle every time. Um, at that scene too, where they're just ripping up the wires and yeah, it's just really great. Uh, this one from Carly, uh, saying this to a uh, Megatron, you'll be nothing but Sentinel's bitch. And then this kind of jump starts Megatron into this pit of rage where he goes and attacks Sentinel. Um, and then this last one, uh, like I mentioned at the end of the film with Optimus, where he says to Sentinel before he kills him, you didn't betray me. You betrayed yourself. Uh, another great line from optimus he says a lot of these like 
Yoda phrases in this franchise, which I love. Uh, yeah, I just really, really love uh, Peter Cullen and Optimus. And speaking of Optimus, uh, when we get to the favorite Autobot here, uh, it's Optimus Prime. You know, he he's uh, just, just awesome in here. You know, he's got the sword and shield. Uh, he's just wrecking everybody that he comes in contact with. He uh, just obliterates Megatron, annihilates Sentinel at the end, comes in with his jetpack and during the Battle of Chicago and takes out the driller. I uh, just really, really love Optimus. You know, all of his dialogue, all the choreography, all the CGI that goes into him. Peter Cullen, of course, voicing him. Uh, it's just, just truly, truly love the character. Favorite Decepticon, it's got to be the driller. Um, just blows my mind every time I, I see the driller on screen on how they manage to just render this massive worm-like Decepticon. It's just really, really cool. Um, he's like the pet to Shockwave, which I haven't really talked about, but Shockwave, uh, from what I understand, is was a big uh, character in, in the animated show. Uh, so so Dyer fans getting Shockwave in, in the live-action franchise is a cool moment. Um, but yeah, I just really, really love the design of the driller and, and the movement of it, you know, essentially like a worm. Uh, just really, really cool. Now we get to the negatives. Uh, so the first one, of course, is the runtime. It clocks in at two hours and 34 minutes. Uh, that is 30 minutes too long. Uh, like I said at the top of the episode, you could cut out the job hunting sequences, cut out all that office stuff with Malkovich and, and Ken Jeong. Uh, yeah, just you could easily cut all those scenes out, and this would be a, a tighter movie for sure. Um, the Battle of Chicago can get kind of long too, so maybe shave off you know a few minutes here and there. Uh, but it's really just the job hunting sequence that really just stretches this out, this movie out too long. Um, so if you just cut those out, I think it would be a better, uh, tighter movie and and easier for for audit general moviegoers to you know to to take down a two hour film versus a two and a half hour film. Now, Patrick Dempsey's Dylan character don't like him. Uh, pretty, pretty, uh, unnecessary character. Um, I understand that, you know, he probably wanted, you know, a human to side with Decepticons considering you have all these humans siding with the Autobots. Uh, but I just really find the Dylan character really unnecessary, uh, unlikable, just we don't need them cut them out get rid of them um he's mainly there to just antagonize sam uh and kind of treat carly as an object uh which i will talk about uh in my next point uh with bay's view of women in this franchise uh but that's essentially the only purpose for patrick dempsey is to create this rift between carly and sam uh, through Sam's jealousy. And it's just really unnecessary. We, we don't need Patrick Dempsey in this film. Uh, so then that brings me to the next point with the whole Bay's view of women again. Uh, we went through this with Megan Fox, where he just basically objectifies her. Do it the same thing here with Rosie, where we treat her like a piece of meat. Uh, she's just, you know, a toy that Dylan and Sam are fighting over. Um, she doesn't get a whole lot to do in here. She's essentially just eye candy to the audience. Um, I mean, we get the one shot of her where it's basically a glamour shot where it's, you know, slow motion on her. You got the explosion behind her. 
that's really it for her, you know. And then we get that scene where she calls Megatron a bitch. That's really all she does in this film, uh, besides working for Patrick Dempsey. Um, just yeah, I just that's that's a huge thing, you know. Nowadays with you know the Me Too movement and all that stuff, uh, Michael Bay really showing how he objectifies women in this franchise. So just unfortunate, but it's it's huge negative that you you kind of see now and with the twenty twenty three lens. So. Uh, I talked about this before, but I'll bring it up again. You know, Sam should have just been working with the government the entire time instead of job hunting. This ties into the the whole runtime issue. Cut that entire thing out. Just have him work for the government. Uh, work, have him work as a like a consultant uh, to Nest or whatever. Um, he's saved the world twice now. He's he's worked with Lennox. He's worked with the military. He's worked with the government before. Just hire him as some kind of a Autobot consultant or Autobot ambassador, you know, make up a freaking title if you have to. But that's that should have been what he's been doing. We don't need this subplot of him job hunting and meeting John Malkovich and, and going through this office job for for like 10, 15 minutes of movie. We don't need that. Just cut it out, put him in a government position, and that is his job. That That's just what it should have been. Uh, and then the last one I have is the the quote-unquote Spider-Man 3 uh, special effects, I like to call it, uh, in a couple of scenes, specifically the uh, the Starscream scene where where we get Sam swinging around because uh, he's attached to Starscream's head after he shot the, the grapple into his eye. Basically, shots from Spider-Man 3 was this, you know, Tobey Maguire swinging around on the web. That was what this was, basically. I mean, it looked almost the same. They probably used the same CGI department. I wouldn't be surprised if they did. Uh, just a really bad, you know, PS2 video game graphics. Uh, just would have wished they would have cleaned it up a little better. It's just nowadays, you know, with with you know James Cameron's uh, and Christopher Nolan's capability of CGI and all that stuff, uh, it just really sticks out to you, and it's kind of kind of irritating and and takes you out of it. Like, oh, that's some really bad special effects. So it's unfortunate, but. It catches my eye out in, in the world of that we're living in now with just massive, massive uh, technological advances and CGI. And to see a scene like this is just really unfortunate, especially with the rest of the movie being absolutely perfect uh, as far as, you know, the transforming and all, and all the other stuff. You know, it's just then you get these couple of scenes here and just like, well, that's really unfortunate. This whole movie should have just been clean, clean but. Oh, well, it is what it is, I guess. But I just it really just sticks out to me the most now. Uh, so, yeah, that's all the negatives I pretty much had with this. Uh, next week, uh, I'm going to have a long list of negatives for these last two films. So buckle up for that. Um, curious to see if I can crack 10 this time. That'll probably be the most uh, that I've ever had on on this podcast. So I try to keep it between, you know, three and five. Um, but I have a feeling with Age of extinction and uh the last night i'm gonna i'm gonna reach 10 for each movie so i'm excited kind of excited for that to see how many i can uh round up for sure uh but let's end today's episode with uh going over the rankings again i'm gonna pull up this rankings here you can find this on both imdb and letterboxd uh, the main one I use for the show is IMDb because you get a lot more uh, 
control over it. You know, you can get TV shows in here. Letterbox really only does movies. Uh, so with like Marvel and, and all those other ones, I can do TV shows and movies. Uh, so I mainly go off of this list, but I always try to update the Letterbox one as well because I know that is a huge uh, platform that a lot of people like to uh, go off of. Uh, so go ahead and check out those. Uh, so Transformers rankings. Um, I'm going to start from the top down. So at one, we have Bumblebee. Uh, that is probably not going to change. I think uh, Bumblebee is uh, the best of this franchise. Um, I'll talk about it a lot more on that episode. I really thought about uh, starting off the franchise uh, in timeline order, uh, but I really didn't want to end this season on the last night. So I'm just going to go in release order, and uh, we're going to end uh, this Transformers season on the podcast with Bumblebee. You know, go out with a bang, go up on a highlight because I really don't want to end uh, this season with with the last night. So, but Bumblebee number one probably not going to change. Uh, number two, we got the first Transformers film. Again, that's probably not going to change. Um, really, really awesome. Uh, that really set the bar for what this franchise could be. Unfortunately, it's kind of a downhill spiral from there. Uh, until we get Bumblebee, which Michael Bay didn't direct. Uh, it's funny how that ended up being the the best of the franchise. Uh, but Transformers 1, still really, really awesome. Number 3, this is where I put Transformers Darker the Moon. Um, I know a lot of people like Revenge of the Fallen more than Darker the Moon. I personally think, as a whole, overall, Darker the Moon is just a better movie. Uh, I had just a lot of issues with Revenge of the Fallen. Um, I prefer the Sentinel Prime villain over the Fallen. Um, I like the action sequences in there. Um, the only thing that kind of holds it back is the whole Megan Fox, Michaela issue. Uh, I like a coherent universe. I don't like changes uh, or lazy half-ass rewrites because an actor wasn't in the next installment or if they had a fallen out with the director. So they had to quickly write in a new character and half acts explain where that character went. Um, but other than that, I still prefer darker than moon over revenge of the fallen, which I have at number four right behind it. Um, but still they, they have a lot of fault flaws. Um, but I just, I, I prefer darker than the moon over revenge of the fallen. So that's three and four. And then number five, is Age of Extinction, um, and then number six is The Last Night. I'm really curious to see if Age of Extinction and The Last Night swap places at all. Um, the Last Night is just just horrible. Um, Age of Extinction was kind of this, uh, like a soft reboot in the franchise, um, centered around Mark Wahlberg. Uh, unfortunately, it uh, didn't pan out. I think Age of Extinction is the longest one of the franchise, too. Yeah, it's at two hours and 45 minutes. And then the last night clocks in at two hours and 34 minutes, just like Dark of the Moon. Uh, but yeah, just have a lot of issues with these last two installments by Bay. Um, Age of Extinction for sure is just a little bit better than the last night, even though I still have a lot of problems with it. So I'm really curious to see uh, in these next two episodes of the podcast if, if, they, if those change at all in the rankings. But that is the Transformers rankings as of right now. Um, we'll revisit to this uh, next week when I go over Age of Extinction. Um, but yeah, check this out on 
IMDb and Letterboxd. Just search for Cinematic Views. Um, I'm adding lists on there all the time. Uh, there's like probably 80 to 90 lists on there now. Um, we'll be updating this list also when I do the reaction episode to the newest Transformers film coming out this weekend. Uh, that'll be fun to to see where that kind of lines up w- with these rankings as well. So check those out today. Well, that'll do it for this week's Transformers episode. Tune in next week for the breakdown of Transformers Age of Extinction. Also check out new release reactions every week on the show. Next, I'll be reacting to Transformers Rise of the Beasts. It's going to be a Transformers-filled week, and I'm super, super excited about it. Autobots, roll out.